Hi, honey, compulsive overeater. Hi. Hi. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to be here. Um, I'm seeing people that I haven't seen in maybe 10, 12 years. And I'm seeing people that I see on a weekly. This is, this is such a beautiful thing. So I just, I'm going to do what it was like, what happened and what it's like now. That's always a good, that's a good idea. And um, I'm going to start by saying that anything that I say is just my opinion and in no way is representing Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. Okay, so, and also, and I will, I want to remember the beauty of the differences of our abstinence. I'm just going to say that out loud. So what it was like. I am a binger. I am a, I'm an eater. That's my primary. Um, and I have this fun combination of binger and perfectionist at the same exact time. And that does not work. Those two <laughs> do not work well together. So, um, Everybody's got a different story as to why they do the weird and compulsive and obsessive things they do with food and the way that they see their body and the way that they see other people's bodies. But in my experience, we have this share common bond where we um, can't stop doing whatever our strange thing is, but this room provides some kind of spiritual solution that all of us can actually find relief from it. So that's pretty fascinating. And I have my own tweaky, weird things with food. So I was a binger, and I was a hider, and I was a sneaker, and I was deceitful around the food, and I was a big little food thief. I was a food thief probably from the age of two. That's my earliest memory, was my younger sister was being born at Cedars, not far from here. And I uh, was found hiding underneath a random hospital bed with a, they had these jugs in the 70s, well, in the 80s, and it was these little tiny candies, and I was found completely hiding. I stole my mother's, it was my mother's gift for having made the baby, and I was eating, that was my first food, that was my first food memory at two. And so, we're, not we, I was a stealer, and I would lie about the food, and I would, um, I would find food anywhere I needed to find food, and I would eat a lot of it. And then when, when the puberty stage happened, that's when, that's when the need to get rid of it or to fit in kicked in. If that stage didn't happen, I probably would have just continued the hiding and the lying and the eating. And do we mention foods any kind of... We do. Okay, so bread. Like bread and... <laughs> bread. Bread and cereal. If left to my own devices, I am in a bed with the covers, with a TV show on, with bread, cereal, and ice cream. My trinity. It's like... It's like incredible. Um, so I'm not trying to trigger anyone because I, I'll just I'll let you know that I actually do eat all of those things now. But when I what it was like was I would do anything to get you to stop talking so that I could literally go home and pad myself with this food or hide upstairs in the room or in the closet or behind a couch and do my deal. So that's what it was like. And when the um, the, the peer pressure stuff kicked in, that's when it became a nachtmere. Like, it became like this nightmare of debilitating mental disease. So first it was the physical. It was like, I just want to pad myself and I want to feel that crunch and I want to feel like I'm not thinking about anything. 
Once I felt like I had to look a certain way and people were telling me that my body wasn't okay the way it was and that I need to lose weight, which just, which did happen in our society. It happens that people have their opinions of us and it just happens. We can't control other people. But once that started kicking in and I was aware that I am heavier than every person in my family and um, I don't look like any of my peers at school, that's when the disease really started to kick in, the diet. So like I said, I'm a binger and I'm also perfectionist and those two are like, what was that? Um, like the Mentos experiment? Like the, they put like a Mentos in a, I think it was Diet Coke, was it Diet Coke? And they were like, <laughs> so I am, I don't know, the perfectionism, I'm going to call that the Mentos. That's the actual like danger pill and then the binging I'm going to call the Coke. But um, that's what it looks like for me when I, when I choose to combine my perfectionism with my um, with my binging it it is an explosion and a, and a very terrifying mental mental bad times so that's what it was like and I came crawling into OA um, I'll just say that um, I did attempt once to call this is back in the 411 day when I was in New York in college and we referred to ourselves as binge as alcoholic with food we didn't know that that was not a good thing my friends and I were eating ourselves like under the table and it was like who could go who could who would go down first and they used to put me to sleep with like a blanket and a bucket next to me and that's how much we were eating together and and giggling we were high on on food but um, then it became not so funny for me and everybody else somehow was able to stop so I then I think I called 411 at the time in New York but I, for whatever reason, it didn't sink. And then years later, outside help told me, I think you should go to this meeting called Serenity Sunday. And I was like, this was at a time when I was uh, suicidal or wanting to just not be here. There is a, a difference. Um, but I knew that I, I was in so much pain that I um, did not want to be here anymore because I didn't know how to fix this problem. So I did, I did the suggestion and I came to this meeting, Serenity Sunday. And this woman was speaking, and there were a lot of people at the meeting. Um, how big is Serenity Sunday these days? 100, yeah, so wow, that's so good. Okay, so it's about the same. Um, and she had this essence about her where it seemed like she had freedom, and she seemed she had such grace, like such dignity about, about her, her, um, her food. And I remember thinking, I don't understand anything that you guys are telling me to do. I don't understand at all how this works. This all seems incredibly gray and not specific. And, um, but I heard her grace and I felt a connection with everyone in the room immediately. And then what happened was, um, what was like what happened? So now, now I didn't get stark abstinent like everybody, um, that people, not everybody, but some people get struck. They come in and they're like, I'm desperate. And then they are abstinent. That was not my story. I took, it took me two years to get better. Um, I was coming to maybe three meetings a day. I was going anywhere and doing anything at great lengths because the, the torment of eating myself um, to death slowly every single day alone in my tiny apartment was killing me. So I was the girl that was coming to the meetings and could not get it. I was that one that was like, 
I'm doing everything you're telling me to do. I'm working the steps. I have a sponsor. I'm reaching out to fellows. I'm of service. I'm showing up to meetings. I'm writing. I'm calling. And I'm not getting abstinent. So you can imagine that I got very confused and a little bit mad and a little bit frustrated. And um, what I'll say is that during that two-year period, I was still on a diet, but I didn't know it. So what I mean by that is, I still thought this was something that I needed to do and then um, I will do my version of what it means to be abstinent and I will get myself abstinent and then I'll be okay, then I'll be abstinent. And what I didn't understand was that step one is powerless, is very literal. It's not a negative concept, it's not a humiliating concept, it's humbling. It, it essentially just says, I admit that in no way, shape, or form can I personally fix this. And that's the most, one of the most important steps because it's, that's the whole kit and caboodle. That's basically, if I still think that I'm the one that can fix this, then then why would I need these rooms? And why would I need a power bigger than me? And the only time I can take step one is when I admit that clearly I can't. And so step one is a very spiritual, spiritual step actually in itself. Because you can't get somebody there, in my opinion. You can't get someone to be outside of their thing, whatever it is. Whether it's, whether it's money, property, prestige, food, alcohol, whatever their deal is, you can't talk somebody into getting that desperate. You can't push them and encourage them into doing that. You can be a service, um, attraction rather than promotion, but nobody was able, even in these rooms, to get me abstinent. It was literally between, it was, it was a God and me thing. So um, I'll say that really quick. Where am I on time, Carol? Okay, so I'll say that so this is what I was doing. So at the, in those, that two-year period, I had a home group even. And I started to be willing. The first thing that needed to happen was I needed to be willing to trade God right after. So I, I admitted that I'm powerless. It was the coming to believe in a power greater. And I'll just say really quickly why for me. Very personal. Um, so I had a real God. There was no question in my opinion that God existed. The problem is I was raised in a very particular small group on this planet of, and their version of God was very intense and it was a very, very, very sheltered, strict um, religious denomination. And so the God that I grew up with from a tiny little child, um, this, nobody's responsible for this God. This is just this no religion, no creed is responsible for this God. This is just my experience. I believe that when things were good, God loves me and I'm good. When things were bad, God does not love me because I'm bad. So it, was, it always fell into that. So if anytime I had a bad feeling, it meant I'm bad and God is mad at me. And anytime I had a good feeling, it meant I'm good and God loves me right now. So you can imagine that's also Mentos and Diet Coke. That's not gonna. That's not gonna work, because um, we all know why that's not gonna work. And so it was. I can't even explain how complex it was for me to believe in a power greater than myself that was going to restore me to sanity. I I couldn't easily make that jump. So what I did was I worked. I started working with this Pacific group, big book something like hard a. Um, kind of 
sponsor and she was just like she just it, you know sometimes it's the way somebody says something and it just clicks so it just clicked and when she when she talked about God it just clicked she was like we don't you don't have the luxury right now to not believe in anything you just don't have the luxury and she had me do the bedevilments which is this section on 52 and it and when I read the bedevilment I have like goosebumps right now when I read the bedevilments It's like, oh my God, we were a prey to misery and depression. We were of no use to others. We were unhappy. Oh, um, and when I read that and I wrote it, there's more than just those three. Um, and it was, it was, I had to honestly answer. It was yes, 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 yes. I am. I, in this moment in my life, this snapshot of me, um, with the food, binging, Um, I am all of these things and then it said we had to ask ourselves why so if that's what it says it says well if we are in this really sort of dire situation we had to ask ourselves then why aren't we willing to just even be a little bit willing to be willing to be willing to be willing to believe in the tiniest percentage possibility that something else anything else besides me might have a better take on this and then that was it I was off to the races. I was able to jump in. It was, she was like the tiniest possibility. And when we were talking about that, um, tiniest possibility, all it means is I am willing to admit that there's a possibility that I don't know everything. If I'm willing to admit that I don't know everything, the whole world is my oyster in terms of abstinence and freedom. So that's what happened. And now, there was no pink cloud, meaning, well, there actually was a little bit of a pink cloud, but there was no, like, lightning struck, and then, um, you know, the band started playing, and I was abstinent. So this is what, so really, I want to keep it as concise as possible, but I was watching a movie that had in it these three addiction storylines, and it was a very dark movie, and one of them was us, was our storyline. And I remember sitting there and just like I was watching the scene and I, I was catatonic while watching the scene and when when the scene was over I, do, I had just had a binge sorry I forgot that little part I just I had, I had just had a binge and um and I just come from an OA meeting it was a Friday night I think and uh I have actually and I had left the meeting and I remember um one of our old timers he was just like I guess you're just eating dude he's like you're just eating like don't know what to tell you and I, you know and then I went and I was out he was like and I was like oh so I came home I watched the show and it's like I guess I'm just eating and that was a moment I think a little bit for me a little bit of a spiritual experience where I was finally outside of the disease for just a second I was like outside of it that is that's what everyone waits for or hopes for or prays for or I pray for you or you pray for me that moment when you're not in it when you're outside and you're almost for a moment you actually see yourself like you're in a movie you actually have some perspective for just a moment you're like oh my god I am I am really doing that that's not just a story I'm really eating like that and then going to the gym like that and then not listening to you because I'm thinking about my body like that and I'm this is real and that's the moment of clarity and and it happened and it was good and so after that moment and it was a perfect storm of 
The, the old timers saying, I guess you're just eating, dude. And the sponsor saying, are you willing to believe that for a second you don't know everything? Can you pull the cotton out of your ears and put it in your mouth? And going to these awesome OA meetings all over town and reading that big book constantly. It was a perfect storm of everything else that came together. And then I was given abstinence. So I'll just say, early on in abstinence, I got scared. So I had a couple, I had maybe 20, 30 days. By the way, guys, this is after two years straight of doing counting, breaking, counting, breaking, counting days, breaking. At this perfect storm time, I was like, no more counting days for me. And I'll just say a side note, my absence could kill you and your absence could kill me. There's as many members in OA, that's how many versions of abstinence there are. So mine works for me and yours works for you and we all find the same sort of group consciousness and the spiritual solution. But I, I had to stop counting days because it was killing me, because it was like a diet for me. So at this perfect storm period, I stopped counting days and about two, somewhere around the month mark, I don't know, I started freaking out in the morning. All of a sudden, the fear came back. And the fear was, this is what it looked like. If I even thought about even having a grape over what I had planned that day, that was it. In my mind, I had broken my diet again. I had messed up. It's not going to work. And I'm just going to binge. The shame would just like come in like a tidal wave. And I remember, this is very important for me. My sponsor had said to me, I got on the phone. I said, I'm, I'm so scared. I'm going to lose my abstinence again. It's going to be back. The whole thing's going to be back again. And she said, she's like, wait a second. Do you think that you are the one that got you abstinent? Thank you so much. And I was like, what do you mean? She goes, do you think you got you abstinent? And I was like, she's like, you didn't. She's like, you're back in one. If you think for a second that you're the one that brought you abstinence, then you're back in one. Then you think you did it. And I was like, okay. She's like, total powerlessness. I was like, okay. What happened from that stage to now is that I, I had to solidify what my abstinence is. So again, I just want to be really clear. Everyone's is different. Mine is actually not about binging, oddly. Mine is actually the Mentos. It's the diet one. So anytime I begin to think that I have the power to make my body look a certain way, it's over. If right now I started to decide that I want to fit into a slightly smaller pair of pants next week, I will be five pounds heavier tonight. I will, <laughs> that is literally what will happen. That is literally what will happen. It's happened. So my absence, my absence that was given to me has nothing to do with actual food. My absence is that under no circumstances do I do any kind of damage control or dieting, any kind of bulimic activity. Now, you don't have to be a person who vomits to be bulimic. Bulimic activity is like, I just had a super full dinner. I'm just going to eat for breakfast tomorrow just a little bit less, um, just half of that muffin tomorrow. That's me thinking that I am God and that I am in charge and that I will mathematically fix this little disease that I have. That's the deal for me. So that was actually my absence. My absence was no bulimic behavior whatsoever. I can't touch it with a 10-foot pole. It is my greatest destructor, way more powerful than me way more powerful than me and I had this belief that I have a higher power that's even more powerful than that and so it was like ah, and then I 
we have these, this tool, this amazing tool called the food plan. I use that food plan, especially in the first or two, second, first, first or two years of abstinence, I really use that food plan. But that food plan is not my abstinence. If I don't eat on my food plan, I didn't eat on my food plan that day. My abstinence is that I don't control diet or do damage control. And I take it really seriously. It's probably the thing that I take like almost as serious as the original religion I was born in. But it's not in a religious way, but it's, I really respect the power of this disease. And because of that, because of that respect, because of that step one, and because of that step three, the spiritual experience, now what it's like is I eat more, I am more of a normie than normies are. So I, I actually have a more normal relationship with food than most normies have with food. So I haven't changed my clothing size unless it was down in over 15 years. And I, um, oh, I didn't qualify. So I just, I've been in for about 17 and a half years and I'm abstinent about 15 and a half years. Um, I, I haven't changed my clothing size. I eat food like a truck driver of those kinds of, you know, I, there is no place that I fear to eat in. There's no restaurant that I'm afraid of. There's no buffet that I'm terrified of. We have a great relationship, me, my body, and food. We get on really well. And the way that we get on really well is that at all times, I am completely aware that I'm completely powerless and cannot control my body. So I don't go on any kind of diet. And what that's given me is the gift of incredible relief. And I don't play around with it. Meaning, like, if I left here and then tonight I all of a sudden, um, let's say I had a really big meal. So I'm not in control. So what I would do is I would just, like, automatically just call a friend and I would tell them, where is this? I would tell them, I just had this, 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 this. And I mean a big meal, like old school. It's been, it's, it's been, it's been years since I did my real meal. But if I had a really big meal... I would, you know, the, the kind that makes you cry, the kind that you're so full that you cry, so you all know what I'm talking about. Um, I would call, this is what I used to do. I would call my friend, anyone in program, and I would say, this is exactly what I just had, and I just need to say this out loud. I had this, 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 and this. It is impossible that I gained 30 pounds from just this. That's impossible, because my brain wants to tell me that I gained 30 pounds. I'm a compulsive overeater, and I cannot manage this food or my life right now. And then I would basically consider myself and I tell the person on the phone I'm going on my food plan tomorrow I'm committing because I am a crazy person for 24 hours until this suggests I have no opinion that is valid everything that's running through my mind is cuckoo so I just want to say that that has worked for 15 and a half years life is a beautiful blessing God is literally the number one today. Everything else is after. If I keep it that way, smooth sailing. If God becomes number two, three, four, eh, that'll bring God back up all the way at the front. Thank you so much for letting me share. This is the time for questions only. There's no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OE podcast. Um, and then I just want to say I forgot to mention. So I, I uh, 17 plus years, 15 plus years absence, and then just if it helps anyone, about 40. I don't 40 pounds lost. I don't know the exact because, like you all know, it's pretty gray, <laughs> ambiguous at that time. Okay. Any questions? 
Hi. Thank you. Um, can you talk a little bit more about the process of going from that um, kind of wavering judgmental God to the one that you have now? Yeah. Um, she, uh, she asked, uh, what's your name? Oh, sorry. You, let me see. She wants to know a little bit more about the process from going from the wavering God, judgmental God, to the not judgmental God. So that process is an evolution. So it's, it's actually been changing. Sometimes I fall back into the judgmental God. And, you know, it's, everything's really imperfect. Um, so, but in that moment with that sponsor, I was willing to believe in the tiniest possibility that that God was maybe not the only God and that's what I needed to have that shift but you know over it's a growing relationship like right now I am in a very 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 strong spiritual good positive place with the higher power that I have but there have been times in life when life is really hard that I felt like God is mad at me and and I am bad I mean it does come back it's it's a little bit of a of a give and take, but I am in a next level, I would say, feeling around that God, and the higher power that I have is, is very far from that original one that I, that I had. It, it takes time. It takes just like everything seems to. Yeah. Um, so, when you get into, can you talk specifically about the fear that you went Yes. So I have fear every single day. Every day. Um, and I actually have, a, I have a, a physical condition that's very scary that happens kind of every single day. So I actually have to practice that every day, sometimes multiple times a day. So this is what it looks like. So apply, it's the same thing as this, I, have, I have vertigo. So at any moment, the whole room could start moving and I have to like sit down in a corner or go to the hospital, it's happened, or whatever. And then it's very scary and it feels like you're having a little mini stroke. But I can apply the same thing to everything. Um, I can apply this to money. I can apply this to, for sure, the food and the body. I can apply this to um, relationships, friendships, and health. So the fear comes and grips me. And, um, of course, it's bigger. it feels like it's bigger than God. But then it's literally that first thought I have no control over. That's what we're explained and I find that to be true. The first thought about anything we never are responsible for nor do we have any um, control or ability over. The second thought, we have choice. We do have choice. So the second thought of fear is I add love because I'm not going to shame myself for being afraid and and by the way all these things I do to the very best of my ability I bring God all the way to the top and if it's too loud and if it's too scary then I call somebody to help me bring God all the way to the top and the truth is sometimes I don't sometimes I just I try to do it myself I try to get through the fear myself it usually is incredibly messy it's always harder so let's say with my physical thing I bring God to the front. It's literally me. Like, I'll be in a meeting and I get hit with an episode and I'll be like, God, thank you for this because somehow it's in my best interest that I have this moment and I know it will pass and thy will not mine be done. If you want me to fall, I'll fall right now. If you want me to go to the hospital, I'll go to the hospital right now. It's the same thing with money. It's the same thing with the food. It's the same thing with friends and loved ones and everything. Whatever you want, I am willing to do. It's your game, not mine. And so it's a 12-step 
experience. It's, you know, it's past the food and body. It's, it's everything is God is in charge and I am powerless. So that, does that kind of answer? Okay. <laughs> Ray? Yes. She'd like me to talk about the fellowship and how it helps. I wouldn't even say helps. I would say saves your life. I would say invaluable. Invaluable. Um, I would not suggest anyone attempting to just buy a big book and sit at home. It is not a self-help book. That is my experience. I actually even tried it that way for a little bit in program. It is not a self-help book. The fellowship is our way of keeping each other accountable and also keeping each other feeling loved because that shame is strong. That shame is really, really strong about around anything. At least for me, it is. So, you know, the, I used to talk back in the day about step zero, which is which is love. There's like you gotta want to like love yourself just like even that much. Like you gotta be willing to just not beat yourself up like just that much. Otherwise, who wants to take one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve? And the fellowship is where we come back. And this is like one hour of my life that I feel incredibly spiritual right now. I'm with my people. And it's cel- it has a cellular shift. I just heard somebody was talking about that, that she comes to meetings for a cellular, molecular realignment. Like some people go to like the chiropractor. We go to this for a, a spiritual cellular realignment. And we, um, it's invaluable. I wouldn't suggest doing it without the fellowship. <laughs> I tried it. It does not work well. We get each other's back. Thank you. That's a really good question. Okay, so food plan. She wants to know the difference between a food plan and a diet. Okay, my food plan looks nothing like a diet. There's no weighing. There's no measuring in my food plan. Um, it was. I'll just give you my example. It was one thing in the morning, a thing, and then it was a sandwich in the middle of the day, a sandwich, anything that resembles a sandwich. If somebody's like, I don't know what that means, then you're already still in, you're not even in one. If, you're, if somebody's like, what does a sandwich mean? Then, like, obviously, we're not even, we're, we're just not even, we're not there yet. Like, and kind of like what that guy said, you guys, yes, you're just eating, dude. Um, and then the third was a bowl, a bowl, which we all know what a bowl looks like, of stew or soup with a protein added in and a roll. Now, if somebody wants to make that complicated, then again, I guess you're just eating, dude, because that's like as simple as it gets. I mean, it could, I, it was because I needed to move away from dieting. It could be anything. I mean, that could be a, any kind of sandwich, literally, and any kind of um, thing in that bowl. I just, in the beginning, I needed to avoid, it wasn't a diet because it wasn't, there was no weighing or measuring or diet this or fat-free that or whatever. It was just the portions. I, I needed help. When am I done? And I didn't even understand when I'm done. So, and also, I always left a bite for God. I actually still do that today. And I have like a couple friends that are like, "You do this funny little thing where you like always leave a bite," and I'm like, "You bet I do." And then, and then if they ask, I tell them why. But I always leave, I leave a bite. And that, and that was the freedom. It was not a diet at all. We can talk more after, but it was, it was the sizing. I didn't know. So those things seemed to be withheld in themselves. So I had freedom. I knew I could, I could eat it and not be afraid. You 
Do you ever have maybe the next day feeling, uh, well, that wasn't so bad, I can do that. It didn't, it doesn't really have that much of an effect. Of a big meal? Um, he asked, tell me if I'm asked, do I ever have the feeling after a big meal of like, that wasn't so bad, I can do that again? Right, right. Not the crying big meal. <laughs> the crying big meal, which, which, thank God has not happened in, it, in, in 15 and a half years, but not that kind of meal. I don't think, I'm trying to think, um, no, I'm really, like, I was really beaten by this thing. It, it, was, it was really, really bad. It was really bad, especially with the intake of food. Um, so for me, no, by the time I got abstinent, it was just like, I want nothing to do with the keys to this car. Like, I, literally, nothing to do with it. So it's like, if I had a really big meal, that tri- feeling full is my biggest trigger. So I actually don't eat till the point of full. I eat till I'm not hungry, which is a very big difference. I don't eat till I'm full because when I feel full, my my disease gets crazy loud. So anytime I eat till that point, I usually go like that really full point. I go on my food plan the next day anyway. Like I, I don't play around. I'm like, yeah, I guess I'm going on my food plan the next day. Even if I had planned, I had a, a wedding that I was going to and it was a huge buffet. If I decided that I was eating till really full the night before, I guess I'm going on my food plan the next day, so it's not going to be that buffet. It's going to be my food plan that day. The next day after that, it can be regular, whatever I want to eat, but that day it's going to be my food plan. And I'm not going to work out that day. I'm going to do anything that's as far away from dieting or controlling as possible. Yeah, Tara? Hmm. Mm. <laughs> what character defect did I find the most relief from by working the steps? Self-loathing, for sure. Pride in reverse, those two. Um, judgment I'm still working on because I live in Los Angeles. Um, and I judge, I judge me. And then, but I would say, I would say, hands down, self-loathing. That's the killer. That, like, that was... That's what happened. I remember this one person, she was, she had done all 12 steps and worked her, and she was gracefully abstinent, and her biggest thing was no matter what she put in her body or did with food, she did not beat herself up. This pride in reverse, this self-loathing, it was a killer, and it was all ego, actually. And um, that, that really, really resonated for me. And when I, I had relief from that, I still self-loathe every once in a while, I, you know. And I still have um, pride in reverse, but I found, like, tremendous relief from that. From working steps, tremendous. Yeah. How about writing step four inventory? Yes. Um, you want to just know about it, what it was like? My first one was a like Dickens level book. It literally had. It was like the not the regular binder. It was this binder, and it was there were three of them, and I at the time that I did my fourth, I had one sponsor that went out. And then I was sort of looking for another sponsor. My suggestion would be, like, now when I take people through fourth, because I've done lots of different fourths um, over the years. Uh, if, if you have a sponsee that is doing a lot of talking and has a lot to think about and a lot to say, um, they probably need to do a very shortened, bullet, bullet-pointed fourth. <laughs> if you have a sponsee, they're like, well, how do you feel? And they're like, I have no feelings. 
um, how can I help you? They need to do a real fourth. So it really depends. Mine was, I kind of wish, but it's all in God's hands. I kind of wish at the time I had a, a sponsor that was taking me through my full fourth because she probably would have been like, no, 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 with this writing, I was, this was insane. Like, I just want to know who are you really pissed at? Why? What did, what's your part? You know, it's very, very simple. Like, please still resent. What do they do? What, what, how are you involved? And then, like, where's God in this? And then you just, you're just cleaning house. Very simple. But yes, if there's some, it depends on the person. Fourth steps are very, just like abstinence, fourth steps are very personal. But I, um, I'm very happy I finished that first one, thank God. And then all the other ones, you know, um, have been beautiful. And um, I do a tenth a lot, so I'm, I'm doing that, that sweeping it out over the years. Um, I'm just, it's to not let it sort of build up too much. Yeah. Hi, thank you. Can you talk about how you use the tool service? The service tool, yes. Service is living. Um, Jack, did you ask me if I was going to sing? I did sing. Um, service is... Service is the best way to get you out of your deal. Um, it's pretty instant, too. And it's a good indication that if you don't want to be of service, that you think that your stuff is more important than God, a little bit. There is the other opposite. There's too much service, you know. Over the years, I've, like, found a balance. Like, now I'm in this new zone. I was just talking to some fellows. So when I first came in, I was, like, an OA, like, student of the program like big book thumping and I had like a bajillion sponsees and I was like at every meeting and I had like so many commitments but what I find is that over the years you it ebbs and flows and I needed to go through a phase where I had to lighten up and I had to find a little balance and now I'm coming back into like a little bit of an of an up in service where it's actually I I want to make God in everything first so I just I want to kind of boost it up even more but service is key just like the fellowship it's key and it keeps you connected. Hi, thank you. Have you ever had, to, have you ever sponsored anybody who had as hard a time as you did getting abstinent? And if you have, or if you haven't, what would you, what experience, strength, and hope would you have for a sponsor who is sponsoring someone that's having that difficulty? I did, and my suggestion would be is that I, I can't tell anybody what to do. I cannot tell anybody what to do. Nobody knew how to get me abstinent. I was going to a lot of meetings in L.A. There were a lot of people I was interacting with, and they couldn't get me abstinent. It's a God thing. So if you have a sponsee who just keeps eating, and they are are in pain, you're just there to remind them to surrender, remind them about the steps, continue working the steps, meetings, phone calls, service, the same thing, and then it's between them and God, that part. And so I would just continue, literally, like, be like, I know, this sucks. You're just eating, dude. I guess you're just eating. Or I guess you just want to look at that mirror all day long. Or I guess you don't want to eat. Whatever they do. Or chew and spit. Or I don't know. There's so many things. But I would say, like, I guess you're just doing that. So you're powerless. Just keep reminding them that. Surrender, surrender, surrender. When do you want to, when do you want to put the gun down? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, just, again, to follow up that question, um, if you have a sponsee who's not binging but is just a willful MF, like, <laughs> and, and, you, and, and on the other side of that, did you ever feel like you, a sponsor was going to fire you? 
I didn't feel like a sponsor was going to fire me because I was a, I was a little student type. So um, I didn't have that fear. But I had I always had the healthy fear of like I'd pick sponsors that I respected. So I'd, I'd want to maintain my relationship. So I always was willing. I was brought in like, like I said, like Pacific Group based stuff. So it was like how high. You tell me how high to jump. I jump. Like it was I was brought in when it was like. I'll do anything and everything you tell me to do. I really, really need to get out of this pain. So in my first 10 years of sponsoring, when I sponsored, it was a little bit, har- a little bit harder, a little bit like, I don't have time to hear this. Go, go to a meeting. Go get to a meeting. <laughs> Later on, it's become a little bit more loving. Like, okay, I can hear this for like two, three minutes. And then it's like, and now I'm done. Like, we're, we're, we're talking to your brain too much. So it, it ebbs and flows. There's not an exact answer. Um, but... Thank you. Um, it's not an exact answer, but I feel like if you feel like they're too, too much processing, too much talky-talky, just tell them, go to a meeting. Go to a meeting or read this and, and get off the phone with them. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. Okay. Da-da-da.